1: Celtic
2: Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live on CNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Pullen. You can follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin and my co host, John Duke at CSL underscore Duke, as well as the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. And we've got a treat for you. This week's show features Ryan Bernerdone. You can follow him on Twitter, at Danger Cart. John, we're fully, fully invested in the offseason. Last show we had Bobby Manning from Celtics Blog, as well as Sam Shan from Celtics Hub. And uh, I know he spent quite a bit of time on the Celtics subreddit with our guest, Ryan Bernardoni Today Show. But what are your thoughts, man? I, I don't think you and I have been really agreeing so much on Twitter lately.
1: <laughs> That's, um... there, is, there is a lot of hate and discontent. <laughs> yeah, I a lot of say, hate and discontent out there.
2: out there. <laughs> it's like the first time it's going to make for good I, radio I, I, because John and I
1: don't agree. And, and, and truthfully, here's the other thing that, Ryan, and, and maybe you can weigh in as an impartial observer here. For the first time last week, I found out that Justin and I sound alike. I had no, in 10 years of doing this or whatever it is, I had never, 12 years, what are we, 12 years, something like that, almost a dozen years of doing this. Bobby's like, yeah, you guys sound alike. i like, mean, I've never heard that before, so. No, Bobby, um, he doesn't know. He is wrong. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, now, see, my challenge is that I have to try to keep straight which of, which Europe, Who's got one opinion in this? Because because I I see them both on Twitter. The problem is you both have you know you have the same basically the same Twitter handle or you know similar looking ones, and and I see them there and I think wait a second, <laughs> who, is, who is the optimist and who's the pessimist now? I'm used to you guys being relatively on the same page, and now I gotta I gotta make sure I'm uh I got this all correct here. <laughs>
1: Well, I, you know, we're, well, I think we're, we'll try to do our best to, uh, to lay out the lines of, of communication here. I mean, to, to be in the, the bare, the bare basics of this. And Justin, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I'm in the more pro-trade Avery Bradley camp. And Justin would like to look at some other alternatives that gets us to that cap number. Am I, is that my, am I, am I being fair in that, Justin? Do you think I, am Not I right? Exactly. Oh, not exactly. We, it's not – you and I both know that I'm willing to trade Avery Bradley because
2: we've talked right, about it. Right. But I'm not so sure that I want to trade Avery Bradley right away until we see how the offseason unfolds. I'm more in the camp of let's just be patient before we trade him. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: and, I, I think that there's that, – that's an, that's an interesting place to, to jump in if you want me to.
1: Let's do um, it. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Give us give us the low, the lowdown on that that nut of uh, of this conversation. So I think that
0: that's um, either one of those positions is is very reasonable, um, and it largely comes down to a really simple question, and that is, do you want to sign Avery Bradley to his next contract? Right, like if you if you think that you're going to sign him to another contract and it's going to be okay, and you're not worried about the finances of it all, and and the biggest one is that you think he's going to be worth his next contract, then yeah, wait. There's no you don't have to move him um, because you likely aren't going to sign Gordon Hayward, which is a lot of what this is about anyway. You know, 50 50, you're probably below 50% chance of being able to sign him. Um, If you if you think that no matter how it plays out, you aren't going to sign him to his next contract because you don't want to get yourself into some tax considerations in the future or The You know, the one that we don't like to talk about, the fact that we have years of experience that the team actually plays better when he's not on the floor and that he's probably going to make $20 million a season coming up. If you don't, you know, but people have different opinions on this, right? Like if the team obviously does still like him as a player, let alone as a sort of team leader and all that, if they're thinking that his next contract is going to be a good enough value to sign it for, then you don't have to like pull the trigger early and trade him at the draft or anything. You can wait to see how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, if you, if you don't think that the next contract is going to be a good one anyway, and a relatively good offer comes up at the draft, you might as well take it then because what difference does it make?
1: And I think that's the really interesting piece in this because I think that when you talk with a lot of people on Twitter, and I, and I know you've had, you've been encountered with this because I've been part of those conversations, is, but, but I've gotten it as well. There's a lot of people who genuinely like Avery Bradley, the person. They like what they see in terms of what he does on the court. He has active hands. He, you know, in their mind's eye, they're picturing him on the, the right side of the floor, walking down uh, Kyrie Irving in that, that game uh, against the Cavs there near the end of the season. I mean, I think that there's a lot of those very... Very relevant and, and very forward thinking, uh, not forward thinking in terms of <laughs> its mindset, but, but in terms of its, it's very forward in people's minds of, of what the value is that he provides here. And certainly his role is really the only offense as, uh, basically the only offense the Celtics had in those latter three games against the Cavs was really his backdoor cuts. That was it. I mean, that was really the only thing they had going over and over and over again. But having said all that, The numbers really don't dictate that. They really don't tell that tale that over the course of the, I guess, the Brad Stevens era of really Avery Bradley being a a, a high top one or two or three option in the Celtics offense, he has not ranked as highly as what, what many people have seen. Ryan and I think that that's that probably that at its heart is probably the hardest thing to get over before you even start talking about trading away for the the role of cap space, which for a lot of people you hear that that's that's the Ratliff territory where all he is is a, is a number, not really someone who has value as a player.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's um, obviously not the right way to look at a player who. Um, has contributed as much as he has to the, to the Celtics. Um, personally, I can't get over a lot of those numbers, um, that, you know, like I said, we, we have years of experience now where no matter how you cut up lineups, no matter how you normalize for quality of opposition, no matter sort of, no matter what you do, what you come, come back with is that the team doesn't play as well as, as you might think when he's actually on the floor. Um, and I think to what, you know, what you were saying, um, uh, he always looks like a very good, you know, whenever you watch the game, you always see him doing a lot of things because if you watch the ball, Avery Bradley's around the ball. He defends the ball, catches the ball, and he shoots the ball. Um, and that's, a, you know, a very visible skill that everybody sees, and you can see that he's improved in a lot of different ways over time. Um, and, he, and he does, you know, again, just sort of things that, that catch the eye. Um, and that's understandable to, to be drawn to those things. Uh But then you look at, you know, you look at the numbers and you, you we we all joke about, you know, Marcus Smart hashtag winning plays and all that. But it does seem to bear out that the things that Smart does and, and a lot of what we're talking about here and when you do get into the purely the cap numbers is uh, a question of, you know, Bradley versus Smart in the, the long term and, and maybe the short term Uh that when Smart plays, the team plays better. And there could be a lot of reasons for that. It's Avery Bradley is. A one position player. He is a dedicated shooting guard who is six feet two inches tall and plays next to a point guard who's five, you know, two and a half or whatever he is. Um, and that maybe that doesn't work, but he's in other lineups that he's played with other, you know, he plays with smart, it doesn't work as well. So there's, there's a lot of, questions there about his his actual value and i think he's going to get paid a lot in his next contract because he's an unrestricted free agent who attracts the eye and makes all defense teams and hits you know hits jump shots so um his trade value if it's there and if you go into the draft and you're thinking you know we're, we're worried about what we're going to what we're gonna to have to pay him next time around and somebody comes in and offers you the you know 10th pick in the draft or something or the 12th pick in the draft, you know you probably have to take that
1: and and I think that I think that's the hardest point. I think a lot of those conversations, the old eye test versus analytics, you know, <laughs> debate that I think people don't want to have. And, and admittedly, I'm I'm probably not as 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 deep in, as a of a, of a thinker and, and as reliant upon the numbers as I as I'd like to be. I'd like to be a bit more proficient. So unfortunately. There's a few more questions that go out to you and to Sam and others who I know, uh, Keith, uh, Keith Smith and, and Eric Pinkus and some real some guys that really do understand the cap and understand how teams are built and how these the, the finances and the law behind uh, how these these elements come together and how they work and that's really the business of the game and it's while we all would like to think well. Talent for talent and matching up. That's not the way that you can build these clubs. And I think that we go back as far as the Miami Heat. Um, Certainly, you know, LeBron made the choice that he made to go a different direction. But the Miami Heat, as he entered that summer, were very much at a crossroads in terms of what they were going to do, largely due to luxury tax concerns. There were, there were, there was some pressure on Dwayne Wade. There were some questions of Chris Bosch. So it wasn't as if you know, this was just, well, LeBron moved on and then Miami fell apart. There's, there is a point in time where <laughs> these things do, the bill does come due. And I think one thing that, that I probably surprises someone, surprised me perhaps, is how <laughs> how soon that bill is coming due for this group of Celtics, who I think a lot of us, we feel like, are still on the rise and are still trying to put that team together. But but I think the message, the overall arcing message, particularly from part one that you wrote, is that that, that day is coming a lot sooner than we probably realized.
0: Yeah, I think that 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 is a possibility at least uh, obviously the team can make moves to mitigate that but those are moves that fans are not necessarily going to understand at first or, or maybe ever in, in some cases um and that certainly a lot of fans myself included aren't going to like right like i don't like to go you know not to harp on bradley too much but i like you said i like avery bradley as a person it, wherever he goes whether he's a celtic or not i'm going to continue to root for him he seems like a very nice person he's put a lot into the team uh, I don't want to see him moved for, you know, luxury tax reasons or something like that, or luxury tax reasons two seasons down the line. But um, but yeah, the 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 bill is coming due. And, and part of what's happening is that um, it's not just that the cap is going to start leveling out. It's that we, you know, we had cap growth like what's projected for the next couple of seasons for a long time in the NBA. It was a couple of percent, and, and that's just sort of the way that it was. Um, but we had a, a dollar for dollar luxury tax when the luxury tax was put in place at first. So if you spent $10 million above luxury tax, you had a $10 million tax bill. Um, and in the 2011 CBA, they put in this, this escalating luxury tax that can, can grow very quickly where you can get into paying two and a half, three and a half times as much uh, you, know, as, you know, for each dollar that you're spending over certain, certain thresholds. And that came in in the 2011 CBA, but it didn't actually apply until 2013, and then by that point, you could see into the not-too-distant future that the salary cap was going to go skyrocketing, which was going to drag the luxury tax skyrocketing. So teams at that point could look forward and say, like, all right, if we're in the tax for one year, this this growth that's coming will cover us, and we won't get stuck paying repeaters, and we won't get stuck, even if there wasn't a repeater, paying $50 million tax bills year over year over year. You look at the way it works now, and... We're looking at a cap that's going to be flat for for a while, not flat, but growing slowly for a while. We have higher max contracts than we used to. We we talk about them the same way, 25 30 and 35%, but they're all a little bit higher than that. Raises, the maximum raises that you can give players are higher than they used to be. And you now have, from the start, this escalating luxury tax in place. And teams have to look out a little bit and say, our luxury tax bills could get very large very quickly, and we aren't going to have this cap growth that will sort of clear us every couple of years and keep us out of these repeater taxes that that add even more on. Um, and so it really, you do look at the team and say, you know, it could be two seasons from now and they could be a tax team. And if they are, then the bill starts coming due on some of the younger players. And if you're a tax team two years from now, you probably are three years from now and you probably are four years from now and five years from now. And, and then you're in the repeater tax in years four and five and and beyond. And that can limit you, not just financially, like it can. In some ways, it can crush teams financially. The Celtics have better finances than than a lot of smaller market teams, obviously. But the other thing is that that just attrition that can limit you how you grow your team. And so, if you're thinking that you want to be this, have this team peaking four or five years down the line, with the you know with Jalen Brown and Markel Fultz and players like that, and you've been hitting yourself on the tax and limiting what you can do for the for the years leading up to that, then you're potentially, you know, you're you're cutting off your your you're making some some problems there for seasons that are not meant to be the peak um, because you don't want to make some of these difficult decisions ahead of time. And, and I'm saying that as a fan. I think the team understands that and, and can make those difficult decisions. But that's where this problem happens. We have this sort of convergence of things for a team that has to look into the future because that's where their best years likely are.
1: And and I think that, so you, you yeah, and, and actually, Justin, you, you got something you want to add in here? Well, I just wanted to say, I, there's always
2: been this conversation about sort of getting the best of both worlds, right? Where, well, hold on, we want to rebuild, and this is, this is actually me. I want to rebuild, and I want to have these young players, and I'm not necessarily looking to trade the pick, and even when I didn't know it was going to be number one overall, I thought maybe we make these Nets picks, and, 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 and grow the team, and every time somebody talks about trading Jalen Brown, you know I wince, John, but, at the end of the day, I'm thinking, is it really almost impossible for us to have our cake and eat it, too? And ultimately, I think that's where Ryan was sort of going with some of the, hey, you know, sometimes you have to consider some things, even something as crazy as trading Isaiah Thomas, because we really can't do both. We're going to have to commit one way or another to, to to building for the future or trying to win now. Do you think that's the case, or can we... Can we get a little cake and eat eat it too? Um, So the cake
0: isn't infinite, right? Um, We just did have our cake, and we are going to eat it too, right? The team was just in the Eastern Conference Finals and won fifty three games and had a very entertaining season that nobody would have expected to have a couple of seasons ago. And no matter what, the team is going to be a good is going to be good again next year, uh, whether that's with someone like Gordon Hayward or Blake Griffin or, or some other you know lesser but still very good free agent coming in or even if that doesn't happen and they decide to use their cap space to to renegotiate and extend somebody or even you know if they keep basically the same team together it's already a 50-win team we're already adding Markel Fultz you're going to get you know growth from Jalen Brown and and hopefully you know Marcus Smart and players like that um so we are already doing that right now can you do that for Five more years while Markel Fultz gets to his peak. No, at some point you have to make some sacrifices, um, and those sacrifices, it might be time to start making them now. But the team is still going to be good next year, right? This is not going to be a team. I don't. I. I mean, conceivably, I could put together a scenario where you trade everybody and you go become a thirty-win team. But like, I don't anticipate. I don't think anybody anticipates that that's going to happen. Um, so. I don't know. I I think that's what we what we're doing now, isn't it? We're not the Sixers or the Kings or or some team that's been tanking. We've, you know, three years of the playoffs in a row and just made the Eastern Conference finals. Things are pretty good.
2: Yeah, I guess what I mean is we have to make some hard decisions financially with the future in mind around guys like Avery Bradley, even Isaiah Thomas. If they're not if they're truthfully not going to be able to get over the Cleveland hump. Um, because they're going to hold on to these picks and and make the pick and have guys like Fultz and Brown grow the team as it moves forward. Do you really want to commit those high salaries to? I know you're talking about Avery Bradley primarily right now, but you know obviously Isaiah Thomas is a is a big contract that's impending too.
0: Yeah, and and so is Al Horford. Right, he's already a big contract, and if. If the team's idea here, and this is something that I've been, been writing about and struggling with myself is, uh, nothing in the team's past says that the, that what they're going for, like that quote unquote, the plan is Gordon Hayward. He could be part of a plan, but the team obviously is not, Danny Ainge isn't looking at the team and saying, oh, Isaiah Thomas and Gordon Hayward and Al Horford, that's enough to reach our goals. Um, but we can sort of get to that, that topic. But if you add Hayward and, or somebody like Griffin into that, then that's another big contract. And you start to pile up very large contracts for a whole bunch of players who nobody, you know, really believes can be the best player on a title team. You might be able to put together a team that can act, you know, you said the Cleveland Hump, that can get over the Cleveland Hump. But, like, I've never heard Danny Ainge or even Brad Stevens say our goal is to make the finals. What they say is our goal is to win the title. And that means you have to get over the Golden State Warriors Hump, which is a lot, in my opinion, a lot higher than the Cavaliers. Um, and, and so, yeah, you have to make decisions about what you think your team's reality is now what you think is the best possible scenario you can put the team in now if you think that that scenario is attainable and legitimately can win a title then that's fine you can go for it but if you if you put all that on the table and you look at and you say you know what we're kind of fooling ourselves if we think that this team can actually win a title then committing 130 million dollars in salary and you know two seasons from now and being a tax paying team and locking yourself into tax for the future and again limiting what you're going to be able to do when you think that your proper window actually is going to arrive that's you know that's a difficult decision but that's the that's what Danny Ainge's his job is he needs to to be thinking that way and I think he does um and to be ready to make those decisions so um yeah, from that standpoint, like I said, I think that the team is, that we are to a certain extent, you know, living the the dream that a lot of teams would like to. Um, but no, I don't think that that can just inevitably roll forward for, you know, a couple of years more without um, making some hard sacrifices and seeing some players that we like, you know, leave and play somewhere else.
1: I've been probably... To to my detriment and many of my Twitter followers' minds, but uh, I've been a really big proponent of the Gordon Hayward signing. Uh, I, I think that that really answers so many questions for where this team is. I think that he just adds a piece to the puzzle that that they clearly are missing. And apart from their goal, in, in just in terms of building a, building a team and building a roster it just makes a lot of sense to to get that player at this point in his career and add him to this team, okay? forget <laughs> Forgetting the tax, forgetting the salary implications of what that is. But is there also, and I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but it seems as though there's also a place where not getting Gordon Hayward is actually – it allows them to line up the, their contracts falling off in such a way to where – they're actually going to be better, better suited to compete in 2020 than they will be if they make a signing, they max him out, uh, and and have him join the team. Is I mean, I know a lot of what you've built up is the idea of that if they're going to be good, you need to add Hayward to the mix and kind of going along with the first thing I said, but but not having that thirty million dollar and, and then escalating. Um, salary on the books for the next three years plus perhaps one more as, as a player option, which I think most people feel that would be the, the contract set up. Doesn't that actually put them in a, in a perhaps a better position in 2020? If, if we really are going to look at faults and Brown as, as and the 2018 Nets pick as the linchpins of that next era of, uh, of competition and, and really perhaps con- title contention.
0: Um, I don't, I don't know if I would go that far. I, I think okay. the problem Good. with... The, the, <laughs> that makes so me my, feel better, Ryan. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so Gordon Hayward is a, was he 27? Yeah. 27, I think. He's a 27-year-old, um, you know, he's an all-star, he plays at the position of most need in the entire league, um, and the team is going to be building, I think, you know, most likely, unless something drastic happens, around... A bunch of young players who are not as cheap as the sort of first-round draft picks that maybe we've used to been used to seeing, who make them, you know, a million and a half, two million dollars, whatever it might be. These guys making more money. Bolts is going to make a decent salary. Jalen Brown makes more than Marcus Smart already. The you know the 2018 Nets pick, God willing, will make a lot of money because that means it's a high pick. Uh, so they they'll make decent money, but you have low enough salaries where you can certainly be okay having a couple of very highly paid players on the team, and if um, you know, all things being equal, a 20, late 20s all-star playing wing is a really good way to spend that money. Um, the problem for me is what's the sales pitch that you're making to bring him to the team? If bringing him to the team basically means that you're committing to locking in Isaiah Thomas and, you know, having Horford here through the life of his contract and doing whatever you can to bring back, you know, maybe that means you're bringing back Kelly Olenek. Um, And having Yabusele stay out of the league for another year and you're sort of taking some steps to lock in a team that that he's coming to because he's like, oh, you know, hey, that team made the conference finals this year and I want to make the conference finals again. That's why I'm going to Boston. Then I'm concerned because then you're talking about having Isaiah Thomas signing a contract after next season that might go four more years or five more years. I, I don't know if any I don't know if they would really go five years, but that might go another four years. And you have Hayward who has that last year player option where if he gets hurt or something goes wrong, then you could be on the hook for dead money four years down the line. Um, and then the numbers get troubling. That's when it really starts to be a problem. If the sales pitch you're making to, to Hayward is a different one, and this is going to sound very weird to anybody who's listening, but if the sales pitch you're making is, Hey, come here because we give you the best chance to win a title because we are in a position To be there when the Warriors leave. When the Warriors, not leave, but when the Warriors age out and, and cap, you know, tax out and all those sorts of things. Um, and that's a hard pitch to make to a player, right? Say, hey, leave, leave where you are and come here because we are going to try to win a title three, four years down the line. But if you, if you make that pitch and if he buys that and understands the situation and basketball players, I think, are much more intelligent about the state of the league than people try to give them credit for. Um, then I'm, then that might mean bringing in Gordon Hayward and trading Isaiah Thomas or not, you know, letting him play through the season and then seeing what happens at the trade deadline or even letting him walk, you know, we say for nothing, but letting him walk at the end of having given a lot to the team. Um, and if that's the case, then it's not as big of a deal, right? Because Horford's contract will be done before Jalen Brown, you know, gets signed even for his next contract and Hayward, the same would be done before Fultz comes up. And then you'd be re-signing him in his early thirties. Maybe you're signing to another big contract, but only if you think it's worth it. Um, so I think there are ways to, to work it, but I just get concerned that if, if you, I can't, I can't understand looking three or four years in the future and then locking up your current team of veterans for three or four years and being like, eh, well, we'll just see what happens in, at that point with the young players. I think you have to, at some point, and the point might be within the next year, really plan for what you're, you want your team to look like in three or four years and possibly make trades that add to your asset base at that point instead of spending your sort of assets in the next couple of years. Boy. It's challenging. <laughs> it this is, is challenging, I've been saying, right? Like winning yeah. the title in the NBA is very hard. One team out of 30 <laughs> does it. We are currently in a period where there's like the greatest team I've ever seen that looks like they're going to be staying together for a couple of more years. Um, if this was sort of one of those weird transitional periods where, um, you know, Shaq and Kobe are at each other's throats and another team can, you know, can sweep in and, and get a win or, or you have a, a new super team that's, you know, just forming that hasn't sort of all put it together yet where a below average title team can win. You, this Celtics team might be able to get there. They might be able to get to the level where, Teams have won the title before, but they've won it, you know, like I said, as a below average title team. Right now we have two teams, one of which the Cavaliers are an above average title team, and then the Warriors are like maybe the greatest team ever. Um, So the challenge of winning the NBA title is always significant, and now it's just really, really difficult right now. Uh, And so you have to think about that. Like you have to consider that if the only thing you care about is winning a title. There's a lot of people out there who that's not what all they care about. They would love to see. You know, Isaiah Thomas and Al Horford and Gordon Hayward play together for three years, and who cares what happens four years down the line because what they like is to go to games and have fun and, watch. you know, it makes the winter go quicker, um, which is completely reasonable from a fan perspective. But if, if you are in a position of saying, all I care about is winning the title, then you have to be thinking about these
2: things. Yeah, and it's so funny, Ryan, too, because it is such a likable cast of characters that you could get away with it, I believe. I mean, obviously... Hot take sports talk radio in Boston's always going to be picking their butts on that if they're not winning a championship. But the truth is, is this cast of characters is hard not to root for. You have somebody like Isaiah Thomas, total underdog. Al Horford's a great guy. Avery Bradley's a great guy. You have hardworking rookies and and uh, and Jalen Brown and and second year player Terry Rozier. Like this is a really fun group with a really fun coach, and I think. Yeah, you know, that's tough as we record this and you talk about the possibly the greatest team in NBA history. You know, it's kind of a what if scenario with Kevin Durant, which I think will, I want to, I want, I do want to go back and pour a little salt in that July 4th wound from last year and get Ugh. your take when we come back from the break. But real quick first, like I mentioned, we're deep into game two, the playoffs are just about wrapping up, honestly, but having the right players on the court will be the key to success. We know that. That sharp outside shooter, power, rebounder can be the difference between winning and losing. And business isn't any different. Your company needs the right people to be the best. So where do you go to find that top talent? You can't find the best candidates by posting your job site, your job on just one site. You need to post on all the top job sites. And now you can with ZipRecruiter. At ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to over 100 job sites, and that's with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your position. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. And, in fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails. No more calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes nationwide. And right now, our listeners can start forming their own winning dream team on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash sportsfan. Once again, try it today for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash sports fan. Okay, Ryan, so I heard John go, ugh, and I know nobody really wants to go back to this wound, but at the same time, you know, here's Kevin Durant, who almost didn't look like he was going to be ready for the postseason. Now, obviously, we're in the middle of game two as we record this at the NBA Finals, and he's doing just fine. He's been, uh, I'd say, pretty much 100%. But that what-if scenario, you want to talk about cap problems, basically you just sign Durant instead of somebody like Gordon Hayward. You do that last year, and away you go. Do you think things would have shaped out differently with the picks if they had brought in Kevin Durant just because of all the, like you said, the financial decisions at that point? You think they're competing potentially in the finals this year. I mean, do you think they'd be in the finals this year, or do you think it would have completely reshaped the way that they approach building this team moving forward and maybe a lot of these picks get moved for veterans as as things go along to make sure that they go in the championship
0: yeah probably right i mean if if you get durant um then you're you're all in that's that's what all this is about is getting somebody who's that level of player uh, it may very well obviously i wasn't in the room but it may very well have been part of their sales pitch that they said hey you know come here we just we just got Al Horford, we had you, we have all these, you know, you fit perfectly in what we need for this team, um, and we have these draft picks, and um, we're gonna, you know, there, there was actually some financial challenges to trading them right then, because you have to match salaries and stuff like that, but maybe at that point they say, you know, by the middle of the season, we're gonna be willing to, uh, you know, move these Nets picks, and we'll be able to add to our talent base of current veteran players to support you right away, uh, and they may have done that. I think they probably would have because what are you waiting for at that point? You know, that's that's the time to go. Uh, so yeah, if they had if they had gotten Durant, then I think um, it would have changed the way a lot of things worked. It would have changed the way a lot of things happened all across the league. Uh, it would have changed the way the teams, you know, that that the rest of the league perceived the level of the mountain to climb uh, in the Warriors, the Cavaliers, and then also the Celtics. Um, and it would have changed how they would plan into the future and what their acceptable levels of of luxury tax exposure and things like that would be in, in the near term. So yeah, it would change everything. I mean, I think they spent a year and a half putting together a plan to try to get Durant. And it, I think they were probably second um, in, in the running. And, and so you look back and it, it is a, a, you know, open wound, right? It's if Draymond doesn't get himself suspended, if LeBron doesn't get the block, if Kyrie doesn't hit the shot, um, then the whole league would look different. And I think the league would be happy with that. Like the league, it's sort of the leadership of you know, Adam Silver, people like that would, would have been happy with, with that as opposed to what we're having now. I certainly would have been happy, happy with that. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, it didn't happen. Sometimes you make the, the right play all the way through and then a little bit of bad luck and say, La Vie, you have to move on to the next thing.
1: And it, I mean, they 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 would have been well positioned, and then of course you know you look. I guess your window changes, and your and and the p- potential exists where p- possibly you do have a Mark Hellfolt who is able to star sooner than we're prepared for. I mean, there there are p- possibilities here, Ryan. that I'm, I'm sure you you would agree that there there are ways in which the window for whatever reason, much like how Steph Curry. Made uh, an, an incredible leap from, from, you know, signing that, that contract, that, that renewal contract that four years, 40 million and really going supernova as a player. There's, there are potentials where there are players on this roster who could go there, but it seems it's, it's, that's the, the 1% chance type situation as opposed to shooting for 2020, 2020 which is kind of your, that, that's, you're playing the percentages in that way, am I right?
0: Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if there's any, if there's anybody on the team
1: who you
0: would reasonably think will reach the level that, that Curry has because Curry reached a level that like nobody's ever reached before. certainly (laughs) not in the way that his career looks like he has such a unique career because of the injuries and, um, and the way the league has just changed across the rules and across systems and styles and things like that. So Jalen Brown might become Jimmy Butler. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's that's not Steph Curry. Still, uh, I think the the reason that I say 2020 is sort of the the number to throw out there is one because it sounds good, right? 2020 <laughs> sounds better than saying 2021 or 2019. So you just marketing purposes you you throw that out there. Uh, but the other thing is that um, if you're talking about bolts, then if you look back in the sort of recent recent history of the league, uh, guys make that leap in the third year. Um, Dwayne Wade won the title in his third season, I think. Uh, Kawhi Leonard won uh, Finals MVP in his third season. Derrick Rose was league MVP in his third season before getting injured. Um, that's really what you're looking for, is, is if a player hasn't, by their third season, established themselves as an elite player in the league, then they're probably never going to reach the level that you need them to. So Curry did, but again, Curry got hurt in his third season, so it's a little bit hard to, to get a read on that. But everybody else, who in modern NBA history has led a team to the title, by their third season was clearly an elite NBA player. And so if Fultz is an elite NBA player in three years, and you have some of the current veteran talent that's held over, and Jalen Brown is in his fourth season and has had his breakout as well to whatever level he's going to reach, and next year's Nets pick is in their second season when they hopefully are a not just a productive player, but also a net positive player. And I see a lot of young players who put up numbers that are... that end up hurting the team, but they, they put up numbers. You're hoping that, that that player is, is, uh, contributing. And so you can see the possibility of a very good team, a, even a contending team forming again in three years. Now they may not win the title at that point, right? But that's sort of when your window starts to open. And then you're hoping that you have a window that lasts 10 years and that you can have, make multiple runs at it and hopefully achieve that goal multiple times. But, um, I think that's the most likely number you know, right around then, because of that, the, the history of how players have broken out before. But sure, if he walks into the league and is, you know, Tim Duncan, except, uh, you know, as a one-and-done instead of going to college for four years or some, something that we've never seen before, it's possible. Things happen that we've never seen before. But I'm not expecting um, that even, you know, the number one pick in the draft could, could do that. Well, how I'll-
2: about the number six <laughs> pick in the draft? Because we look at somebody like Marcus Smart, and this was the year John and I predicted kind of a breakout this season, and we're still very much in Marcus Smart's camp, but if we're going to talk about players hitting their third year, what's that?
1: I said we're feeling a bit broken, though. (laughs) Oh, yeah, (laughs) we are. (laughs) Yeah. Go ahead, though.
2: (laughs) Frame it for us, Ryan. Frame it for us. Maybe you're you're not in the camp. Maybe you're in the camp. I know. I love Marcus. A lot of critics. Alright, well, go for it. Tell us.
0: Um, so I think this is a very interesting one, um, because we'll never, you can't prove the negative, right? We'll never know what would have happened if he had gone to a bad team that said, hey, you're gonna be the point guard. And just let him be the point guard. Um, and maybe he, you know, people have started to talk about his weight and things like that. Maybe he shapes his body differently, he shapes his skills differently, he gets the reps he needs in order to do certain things differently. Um, He's been asked to do everything for this team and it's very hard to be a young jack of all trades um, in the NBA and to be as positive an on-court influence as he's been. We talked before about how Avery Bradley it's hard to get to just ignore the numbers entirely that say that the team doesn't play as well when he's on the floor. Um, we now have years of experience with Marcus Smart that says regardless of how infuriating he can be at times um, and how you know, disappointing. Some of his numbers are, and how you look back and you say, "Oh, he's a historically terrible shooter in a league when shoot in a you know an era where shooting matters more than ever." But he always makes a positive impact on the floor. Um, and so, you know, under the terms of what I just said, do I think he's ever going to be a superstar starting point guard? No, I, I certainly you know don't don't see any reason to believe that at this point. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to be twelve more years in the league and that he can't be this team's Andre Iguodala. Um, And maybe he'll never get, you know, Iguodala got that opportunity to be the man on a terrible team and put up the kind of numbers that establish a reputation um, and that put you on an all-star team and and things like that. Um, But now he fits a different role where he, you know, where his his career has probably rightly gone. And Smart could be that. He could be a, a wonderful player who fits an important role on a team, And who makes a much bigger impact than sort of the casual observer ever recognizes. Um and the interesting thing there, if we go back to contracts and planning and stuff like that, is that he's eligible to sign an extension this year. And if the team thinks that the number you know, the on and off court numbers and things like that are real, and Smart and his agent look out and say, you know, maybe our market's not gonna be that great. Nobody's looking for non-shooters right now, maybe they can get him on a good deal and and they sign him to a contract that looks a couple years down the line like the other guys who, you know, Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas, you know, you looked at them and said, oh, look, all their, these great uh, discount contracts that allowed them to do a lot of different things. Maybe Smart's the next in that line, um, where he's not a superstar, but he's a very good and important player who allows the team to do other things because of his versatility and because of his reasonable contract that might come out of the season. Um, but no, I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, he's not going to be a 10-time all-star who leads a title team. He's not going to be a five-time all-star. He, You know, he may never... He may never, you know, start eighty-two games. I, I think he there are a lot of teams where he would, but um, this doesn't mean he's not a valuable NBA player. That makes us feel better. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> it's the sixth six, right? If you get if he was the twelfth pick, everybody would love it, right? It's because he's Absolutely. the he's the one. He's the one year that they that they really went and tanked through the entire year. He was the lottery pick. He could have been, you know, he could have been Wiggins. He could have been Embiid. Um, but he's. He's Marcus Smart. Um, I love him. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, he's great to watch, and um, and he makes a you know he helps the team win.
1: And if you look at the draft, I mean, in terms of that season, well, this isn't a situation like with Kelly O'Linick where you obviously stand back and say, "Well, they passed on blank." I mean, maybe you could say it with Zach Levine. Maybe you could say it with Nurkic. Maybe you could say that with you know maybe Saric, but. They really didn't miss there really wasn't something rodney hood maybe i i don't think you could argue that that anyone that came after him was really a clear miss um by taking smart and you know we're, we're big big fans of his in this spot it's when you look at all these different competing interests and you have to figure out okay what does avery bradley mean what does you know what does isaiah thomas fit you know where do all these guys fit and you got to figure that they're not going to commit to all three of them, and they may only commit to one of them. And so, you know, you hate to have to ask that question because, you know, certainly I've, I'm a big fan of what Marcus has done. You know, numbers be damned, but but I would think that even those who who like to watch winning plays would, would appreciate what he does. Um, but let's talk about Isaiah because I think that's the one that. Got a lot of press, particularly at particularly after Game Three of the Eastern Conference Finals, and I I certainly understand the desire or the the question asking the question, you know, do you trade Isaiah Thomas? I don't think they're a better team without Isaiah Thomas. I think that's one of the dumbest things that anyone could say, and it's certainly there's no way you're going to attract Gordon Hayward, which is your other you know the other comment you made, and I I completely agree with that. But what's, what is the future for Isaiah Thomas here? They could extend him this summer using cap space if they don't get Hayward. That's one option. They could wait out. They could try to re-sign him next year and, and give him, you know, a a good, good number. But under either of those scenarios here, I don't think that the Celtics sign a five-year deal with him. I, I just don't think that they would do that to themselves. It seems to me that he can get back on the market when he's 31-32 or he's the same kind of position as as Kyle Lowry is right now and make another big score. So I don't think five years is, is in any, either of their, uh, you know, what they'd be looking at. Three years, and that's a number you floated in, in your article. If you're signing for three years, is it seems like you have the kind of the same situation as what you were talking about earlier with Hayward, which is he's coming off the books at a time when, you know, he can be very helpful, but you you can kinda of ask the question again in three years, as opposed to feeling like you're tied into this player and this situation for a longer period of time. Is that is that a fair read of the situation? That that's at least my
0: read on the situation, is yeah. that um You know, you said you don't think that a five-year deal would, would behoove each of, each, either of them. I think if they offer him five years at, you know, the max or or close to it, that he would take it. Unlike, you know, Lowry's built like a tank and Lowry's also had sort of a weird Mm -hmm. career. So I don't think you would want to bet on matching that career and having, um, having (laughs) people consider you the same way as Lowry. Um, so I think he would, you know, would absolutely love to have that deal. Now, obviously nobody else can offer him a five-year deal. Um, so, do you have to go four years? Do you have to go four years at basically the max or, or at the max? Um, I'm not super comfortable with that because that's, you know, that's obviously a year down the line from now. So that's five years of commitment. And you're about to draft a point guard who is the number one pick in the draft and is going to start on a four-year contract. And so can you commit five years to Isaiah Thomas when you have, you know, Fultz coming in for four? Uh, you might also have Smart getting extended or in some way either now or, or next summer. Um, as your backup, if you have Fultz as, as the one, um, or as some sort of you know multi-ball handling uh, backcourt, um, so I'm not really comfortable with with those with going a full four years, and so this comes into the the player and the team and the agent talking, right, and understanding where they are, and if the team isn't is in the same boat as I am and is saying, yeah, three years we can do because that. That means your contract ends when Fultz's contract ends. And exactly like you said, you can ask a question. It's not to say that you won't sign him again in four years. It's not to say that you won't sign him to big money again in four years if he can keep up, you know, the way that his, his recent seasons have gone. But maybe at that point you are bringing him back for a lot less to be a sixth man or something like that. Um, and you're banking on the fact that you have an established relationship with the player and, and things like that. There, you can continue to have that conversation. The other thing is that. To be blunt about it, like it's more tradable, right? If it's a three year deal and things don't go super well, you get to the point where it becomes reasonable to trade relatively quickly. Um, and so that helps. If, if you know that he's not going to sign a three year deal and that's the maximum that you're willing to go to, well, that's when trading comes into play because then you really have to just, you know, find the best thing you can get and take it.
1: Yeah. What about the hip? Um, that's obviously, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know if there's going to be surgery. There was. He did kind of remark in the the kind of walking, the closing interviews, or uh, that that he does. They don't expect that they're going to have to to do some surgery on that hip, which I think was was good compared to some of the things we heard initially after that um, the injury was disclosed. Does that does how does the injury impact the timing of this, and does it really? does it really take any sort of idea of an extension off the table for this summer? Um, so I've always
0: thought that the problem with the extension talk was more on his side that,
1: excuse me, I have to cough. <coughs> that's allowed. That's okay. We've done worse on here, so that's okay. Yes. <laughs> sorry. On <laughs> mute. Um, I have a,
0: it doesn't matter. I have allergies right now. that are beating me up. Oh, <laughs> um, so sorry. Year. Sorry, listeners. Um, I've always thought the problem was on his side, that it would push his, you know, to the point of worrying about what that next contract is after this one, that it would push, uh, sort of his ability to get this big contract, uh, to the point where even three years, three years down the line, you know, it might not really have a market. With the hip injury, maybe he, he actually looks at it and says, you know what? I can get, I can get some pretty good money right now. And I have this concern and I like being in the Celtics. And then that solves a lot of those problems, right? Because then maybe you're talking about not a not just not a 5-year commitment, maybe not a 4-year commitment. Maybe you're giving him a lot of money next year and then two more years. And then that's fine. Like if you're doing that, then then that's great. That lines up right away with Hay- with Hayward's contract cuz he's going to be on a 3 plus 1. Like then you're in these things the numbers start to really fall together cuz that's also Horford's contract. Although I guess that doesn't make any sense what I just said cuz if you're extend renegotiating extending him then you don't have have Hayward, but um but that lines up at least with Horford's deal. So if you can, if the Celtics could get that, then I think it's reasonable. The hip like I said, may actually help with that because it might put more doubt into his mind and getting the money right away might be better than waiting.
1: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. He, yeah. Um, go ahead, Justin. I know you want to jump in here. Well, I, you know, well, if you have a follow on that, John, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, no, no, I was no, going to no, move too. in a different direction, so.
2: Well, let's talk about the draft just a little bit too, as far as I know we talked about folds. We talked about what that window would look like and when we would be fairly certain that he's the transcendent player that we hope he is and that we're looking for. But I want to get Ryan's take on how far seems like he's a consensus number one he's obviously the pick for me and and there's a couple of reasons for it, but you know you never really know, but the six four height. So we don't have, you know, we have some length at that spot, especially with the wingspan being somewhere between six, ten, and seven feet, depending. Those are all really encouraging. The fact that he's appears to be a pretty sweet shooting guard, so you know that he can already shoot um and create. There's some things that 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 really indicate it that he's special. But there's a lot of people out on the West Coast that think Lonzo Ball is special. You know, I think uh Josh Jackson looks like he could be one of the best athletes in the draft. Jason Tatum's got, you know, some holes in his game, but he's got length and shooting ability too. Uh, For the most part, and and even Darren Darren Fox is coming into play, I think he's kind of rising up the boards. I want to get your take if you really feel like Fultz is far and away the top prospect, Ryan.
0: Uh, So I don't really watch much college basketball, (laughs) Um, so we'll start there. Uh he didn't play for Yukon or Northeastern, so I didn't see all of his games. <laughs> um, I have to admit that off the top. Um and from the sort of statistical uh modeling stuff, he's an absolutely fine number one overall pick. So would Ball. They would, you know, they would both be. Um I look at bolts and I see um a, you know, all the tools you could ever ask for in a modern guard. Um I watch, you know, the same Draft Express Clip reels as everybody else and I worry a little bit about his shot selection and hope that, you know, he, um, he doesn't fall in love with taking difficult long twos, uh, in the NBA and that he can stretch out to the NBA three point line and, and things like that. Um, but you know, he's 18 years old <laughs> in those clips. He just turned 19. Uh, he's got all the dribble moves. He's got the athleticism, the length. I know people have talked about how his defense is just a lack of effort, um, which, you know, that can't continue, obviously, in the NBA or he'll get he'll get lit up. So you hope that that, that can be resolved. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's got all the tools you could hope for. He has a statistical profile that's absolutely fine for a number one overall pick. Um, I don't think there's really anybody in the conversation um, at the same level as he is um, with the way that people have some some questions about how, you know, Ball's sort of uh, odd, odd game will fit in. When you're actually having to put a team around it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think he's the clear number one from, but like I said, it's not like a, it's not like I'm a scouting expert who watches every college game. So, um, following the lead of a lot of other people on that.
1: Yeah. Well, that, and that's fair. I, you know, I thought it was interesting that Keith Smith you know, tweeted, he had talked to some people this weekend that said that, that if they were ranking, you know, the, the top players for both, both this year and next year, and that's including, uh, Porter and, and Doncic, um, as well as Ball and, and, uh, Jackson and so forth. They would put Fultz ahead of all of those guys, uh, and then with Doncic and, uh, and, uh, uh Porter below that. So, you know, it seems as though that, that the stratification of where these prospects are going, that, that, you know Fultz is is getting some some very high marks in terms of his potential and uh, what he's shown thus far it'd be interesting to see how he does actually running the team but this is a, a probably an opportunity where playing with a guy like Isaiah Thomas is is a huge benefit for his his development and you know one thing that i've been hoping for is to you know it, I go back to what Justin was talking about the the cake and eat it too phenomenon of it of being able to develop these players underneath, but have the older veteran players uh, around to provide that sort of uh, character building uh, how to be a pro uh, aspects that so many pros have benefited from to become stars and so you know I think that that's that's very helpful and, and there still will be those players whether there's um, whichever uh, scenario that they they follow, they're not going to trade away every veteran on this team, an Eastern Conference finalist, uh, to do that. So I think there's, there's going to be ample opportunities there, no matter which of the many options you've laid out, Ryan. Uh, which is which is I think a huge benefit for the Celtics. Um, I wanted to talk about one one name that you mentioned in part two that I, I know it's it's it, it's serious, but in part in jest, and it's Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis. A lot of people have been throwing that name around, and I think most of the people I've been that have talked about this name have have been kind of winking a nod. You know, look, we the reality of acquiring a guy of that caliber at this point in his um, his his contract and and where the team their his team is, it seems. To say it's unlikely is is underselling it by a thousand percent probably. Um, (laughs) It's just a little hyperbole, but that's the type of player that does make you change this conversation. And and you identified a window really of a year from now of where that is a very real conversation. Could you kind of just talk about that? You know when and where it seems like Anthony Davis. Would be maybe not on the market, but someone that Danny Yange is, is acutely aware of and is probably targeting to a degree that maybe matches what he was doing with, with Garnett going back to 2006, some two years before he actually ends up acquiring him or two, a year and a half before he ends up acquiring him uh, in the summer of July 2007.
0: Yeah. And I think that that, that history is sort of what I'm, uh, Getting at when I, when I look at, at Davis is that, uh, to go back to something I had said a little bit earlier, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that Danny Ainge's plan is a guy who didn't make all NBA and that would be Gordon Hayward. So <laughs> his history is going after top five players in the league, guys who can, can win you the title. And that was going after, um, Garnett by trading away a pick that became Brandon Roy or it, it was the sort of Brandon Roy, Randy Foy, Double in in the middle of that uh, the lottery that year, but trading away that pick, partly because they knew that they that their guy was Rondo and that they could they thought get him later, but also because they wanted to line up contracts um, by switching you know Ray Fluffrence for for um, uh, Theo Ratliff um, because that they looked and they and, and at least my read on the situation is they looked out and said we think maybe Kevin Garnett was going to become available and, and this is going to be something that we need to do, uh, and then again for Kevin Durant. They went out and pulled out of the the tank nosedive and and thought we might have a way to get after this guy. And so they got I'd say Thomas, and then they didn't, you know, they signed Amir Johnson because it preserved cap space, and Jonas Zubko for the same reason. And they didn't chase some, you know, didn't go after um, Nick Batum or anybody like that, that that people thought maybe they would spend money on because they were planning and they were part of a multi-year, multi-sort of signpost, you know, the, the the draft, free agency, the trade deadline, going through all those different things. In plans for going after these, these absolute best players. So if you look at that as the history, then you try to figure out who that could possibly be that they would go after next. And most of the names you have to just cross off the list. Like Anthony Davis seems unlikely, but he seems more likely than Giannis or Carl Towns or somebody like that. And you look at where he is and you say, okay, he's in a, a team that hasn't made the playoffs in a couple of years and they don't have ownership that's super stable and nobody's quite sure who's going to be running your team. Six months from now, they decided to, you know, you don't normally put out press releases that you're keeping your front office around. Uh, you Normally, if you are, everybody just assumes that they put out a press release saying, hey, we're sticking with the guys we got, um, which can't make you too certain about how the future is going to go. And so, you know, I think it's very unlikely that they trade in this summer but the Celtics have more assets to offer than basically anybody has ever had to reasonably offer before for a player. And so you at least make the phone call. You see what's there. And that would certainly change things, right? If you can get Anthony Davis, then you trade all these things because you don't need to worry about the odds that that player becomes great. He's already great. So uh, you would certainly do that. Um, but let's, you know, just play it out. DeMarcus Cousins is who they you know their current front office committed to, and he's a free agent in a year. And if they get off to a slow start and in December they fire their GM and bring somebody new in um, and that person looks out and says, well, I can't trade cousins because we know what his value is and it's not that much. And he's going to be a free agent and we're pretty well capped out. What can I do? What can I do to change the franchise? And if what you can do to change the franchise is talk to people about trading Anthony Davis, well then the Celtics still want to be there to have that conversation. Um, And I think that that, window, last t- basically last two years, because at that point, um, assuming he's healthy and making all NBA teams and the caliber of player that you would be hunting for like that, um, then he's going to be eligible for that Supermax contract extension. And, you know, the whole point of the, the new, not, one, not the whole point, but a large part of the new CBA is trying to keep players like Anthony Davis on the teams that they're in. And so two seasons from now, he might be signing that Supermax extension to kick in two years Later when his contract or a season later when his contract ends going four years beyond that and then he's untradeable for a year because that's the rule. And so, but there's a two year window here where you can at least put together a scenario of the Pelicans falling apart and deciding that they need to make some change and determining that's the only change they can and being offered three, you know, Jalen Brown, Mark Fultz, and another first round draft pick and saying, well, we don't want to do this. We don't want to lose Anthony Davis, but what else are we going to do? And pulling the trigger on it. So I think you have to, if you're the Celtics and you think that that's possible, then again, you take the, you might want to take the risk that they did pursuing Durant and and pursuing Garnett and actually put plans in place to, to keep guys on the team who you might not otherwise keep for the thought that, Hey, you know, maybe a year and a half from now, we're going to have Anthony Davis and we're really going to want to have Isaiah Thomas here still. If that's the case. Um, But that's the decision you have to make. And that's, if you think that that's not going to happen at all, then again, you're back into the conversation we were having about three, four, five years down the line and planning for that. So he's the one player that's out there that you could at least convince me Danny Ainge is, you know, is, is out there planning for. Um, anybody below the level of those guys isn't really worth it. it.
1: Yeah. No, I, and I, and I think that that's the, That's the sobering news, I think, when you step away from all this. You know, I think as we were going through the spring, a lot of us were thinking, well, you know, we'll add a piece and maybe we're one more piece away. But I think what time has allowed us to step back and realize, which is even if you add a Paul George or Jimmy Butler to Gordon Hayward joining the team. So, you know, being two steps away, not one, even those two steps away probably leave you. a step below (laughs) you're probably three steps away not two and and those are great players i mean that's that's really threading the needle uh very tightly to to get there and so you know that's why i think you know your comments and 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 really parts one and two lay out very beautifully to say look if we're going to be if 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 we're not going to be in that conversation right away we need to be we need to be smart about being able to really be ready when we have a we know we have a much better shot to be there um, so it's it's a tough thing um, one last thing for us cuz we're going to we're kind of getting near the end of the hour here ryan um, you you've laid out a number of scenarios um, and i i want to know one do you think that the best pitch is the best pitch to still try to get Gordon Hayward? It seems like that answer yes. And two, what is their best pitch to him at this point? Um, their best pitch to him to
0: get him or their best yeah, pitch to, to get him? him. So yeah. just saying to get him.
1: Yeah. Um, what do they need to do to get him? Well, they, you know, because yeah, so Utah is in a similar situation, not in the same situation, but they have younger players. They're going to they have guys on contracts. I mean, part of the reason why he's leaving or why he's going to leave is they're concerned about their future and not wanting to go all in on George Hill <laughs> and, and and Joe Ingles. So, so we're, everybody you know,
0: wants we, to go all in on Joe Ingles.
1: And who wouldn't? And we'll, right? And I mean. Nothing. You, nothing to the contrary. <laughs> who wouldn't want to be in the Joe Ingles business? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the. I mean, to me, like you're trying to say, well, we won't do what they're going to do. We're willing to spend the money where they won't. That's usually what you have to. That's how you know. I think that's largely how they ended up getting Orford. Um, but how can they make that same argument with for Hayward and and convince him to come here with, you know, really. And a few different, you know, balls in the air here. Certainly about the way the next three years play out.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I, it's hard for me to get in the head of another player, um, or not another player, a player. I am not a player. Um, but <laughs> you're a player, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, not that either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: I, uh, you know, it's hard for me to, like I said, it's hard for me to get in in, in his head. And he seems like a smart guy and. And And I do think that a lot of times we oversimplify the thought processes that players go through when they are hitting free agency um, as fans. you know it's always kind of reduced to a, to a really simplistic thought process and and these guys are smart they're professionals who are part of a league who know a lot of things about what's going on and they think about these, and these are real decisions they have to make and so maybe that sales pitch that I said would be the one that probably benefits the team most actually is a really good sales pitch to him, and he looks out and says, "You know what?" I just ran into the Golden State Warriors. There ain't no way we're beating the Golden State Warriors right now. I want to be ready in three years. And that you put together that pitch for that, and maybe that's the right one. I suspect that if you sort of believe conventional wisdom, that the best pitch would be, hey, come here. We just made the Eastern Conference Finals. We think we can get to the finals. We're willing to cash in some of the other parts we have, and we're going to go and get, um, you know, Paul George on top of it. And we're willing to take the risk. We think that you are so good that, uh, it is worth us putting in some of our chips and, and taking the risk on a player who's gonna be a free agent or maybe Jimmy Butler who's not gonna be a free agent, although I think that that has positional overlap. That's a problem, those two. But, um, and, and doing that and saying, that's how we're gonna get Gordon Hayward. Personally, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't go in and make that promise. I wouldn't go and have that trade in my back pocket. I wouldn't want to, you know, be in a position where that's the team I'm putting on the floor. Um, unless you can get, you know, if, if you can get Paul George for like nothing, right? If you can get him for, I'm not going to say nothing, but if you can get him for, um, you know, a lot less than what people think, then okay, fine, whatever. But,
1: <laughs> you know, I don't want to
0: be in a position where I'm saying, oh, we're going to give up, you know, Jay Crowder and Marcus Smart and, 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 you know, you sort of add these things on. It's hard to even make cap space for, Hayward, and then go out and get you know someone like Paul George, Jimmy Butler, without giving up a lot because you have to make the numbers work uh, on both ends. So, yeah, but I mean, if that's the question, if the question is, is how do you get Gordon Hayward, I think that's how you get Gordon Hayward: is you go out and you sell him on getting you know putting the best team you can on the on the court next year. I don't think that that benefits really anybody, but um, yeah,
2: I mean, you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I almost think the pitch is. You're not going to be able to get onto the Golden State Warriors. You're not going to be able to get onto the Cleveland Cavaliers. And when you look at the assets and the fact that Boston's in the Eastern Conference, this is your best opportunity to play as deep into the postseason as possible. And your best chance that when one of those two teams starts to slip and it's definitely going to be Cleveland before Golden State, you're going to be on the team that's waiting to take advantage of that. And we have the kind of assets to hopefully ramp up that time frame. But I know where you're uncomfortable, Ryan. You don't wanna you wouldn't wanna make a pitch like that or make a promise and then when the contract comes up and we wanna re-sign Gordon Hayward, we've burned bridges by not coming through on promises. I'm not sure they have to overcommit those promises to get him to come. It really I think for Gordon Hayward and you said about simplifying, oversimplifying their decision making process. We just really have no idea how ingrained Gordon is into, you know, the community and Utah and the organization. There's a lot that comes to that too, but I also know he has that relationship with Brad Stevens and, and hopefully that helps make that consideration. Ryan, I want to thank you for coming on the show, especially the part one and part two were so well thought out and really just kind of get people thinking about just how difficult some of these decisions are just because we have the assets doesn't mean we can keep them all.
0: Yeah, unfortunately that's the case, um, but things are good. Uh, you know, team did just make the Eastern conference finals. We do have the number one pick in the draft. Um, there are maybe three, probably two for Well, I would say three, there's three franchises that would probably, you probably would change places with if you could. Um, but in a 30 team league, that's a, a pretty good spot to be in. Um, so, you know, it's uh, I, I was sort of making jokes about how people who read those two pieces might get a little depressed by it because of how um, how hyped you can get about the position that they're in. Um, but really, that was mostly in jest. I think people should be very excited about where the team is. Um, and I certainly am, and I'm looking forward to the next couple of years. So, you know, thanks for having me on to talk about it. It's been fun.
1: All
2: right, thanks, Ryan. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app, as well as clmsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. Our guest today is at Danger Cart. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. You can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review. We'd love to get your feedback on the show and how we're doing. And a reminder that today's show brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. They have a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting our show and the entire CLNS Media Network. A big thanks to the loyal audience who makes it all worthwhile, and for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke. I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition
1: of Celtic Stuff. Celtic Stuff Live.